This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice. Hi, my name is Pradeep Alankumaran. I'm one of the founders of Farmstead. What I love about grocery is that for any pool of people who think one way, there's an equal and opposite pool of people in grocery who think the other way. One significant trend in food is fresh, locally sourced produce and grocery essentials delivered to the consumer's doorstep the same day. One growing player in this trend is Farmstead, who also boasts free delivery forever. To unpack this trend in this company, Rob Sanchez and Anne-Marie Stevens talk with the co-founder and CEO of Farmstead on location at Grocery Shop. You're listening to Grocery is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the food and grocery industries. Recorded on location. Grocery is Your Business is exploring the intersection of technology and business inside of the grocery industry and um, the rapid changes that are currently happening kind of across the board inside of that industry. So, Pradeep, I'd love to have you kind of talk a, a little bit about how you entered this space and, and what you're looking at. Yeah. Oh, got it. So my, um, my entry into grocery actually was very, it was a personal problem. Um, my daughter had just turned two years old and she started drinking a lot of milk. And I'm an engineer. I don't like doing the same thing over and over, but I found myself going to the supermarket three, four times a week buying the same things over and over. Um, So we tested a model where we could deliver to doorsteps once a week milk, eggs, yogurt, bread, and this absolute staples. And in two days, 200 people signed up. And that was the start of Farmstead. I love that that's that moment of need. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I definitely like am at the Whole Foods buying milk every day. It seems like mm-hmm. when you were tackling the problem initially, what did you look at as the, uh, or did you look at anything as an example of a solution? Well, there are a lot of solutions out there for online grocery. The question is, do any of them actually meet the needs of um, mid-market customers? So, you know, there's a trillion-dollar pool of grocery spend and off which 70% are mid-market and these are folks who typically shop at let's say Safeway, Albertsons, Kroger and, and the like. And for this crowd who are very budget sensitive, who care a lot about uh, quality and the price quality trade-off and also making sure that there is reliable delivery so it fits in with their lives, it's actually not very easy to build a solution for them. And Farmstead is our take on using software and data to make that experience happen, effectively delivering the promise of e-commerce to online groceries, specifically perishables. How are you tackling the last mile portion of this? Uh, We are contracting with a lot of drivers. And uh, the big difference is we're not a point-to-point pickup and drop-off. We actually deliver to you and your neighbors at the same time. So I'm curious to learn just a little bit more about the company in terms of fresh food, because that's really the premise of what you're doing. Is that right? Kind of locally grown, fresh, easy access. 
We are locally grown whenever and wherever possible. Um, easy access is definitely a big deal for us because we, we try to make high-quality food accessible to pretty much everyone. And our mid-market focus really reflects that. Uh, as a company, what we, we are a technology company. So what we do quite well is uh, write custom software backed by proprietary data to reduce the cost of making sure we have the right inventory, making sure we are picking efficiently and delivering to your doorstep efficiently. And that effectively means that at the end of the day, we are giving you the same price as a customer as what you're normally paying at the supermarket, have no other fees, and are giving you uh, free delivery. This is an experience that you normally don't see in online grocery. As you're putting that together, are you lying on top of any infrastructure that exists, or have you mainly worked on it inside yourself? It's a very custom service right now. Farmstead is not built on top of third-party components just yet, but maybe in the future we will be. But right now, since the, our data requirements are substantial, it's relevant for us to do most of our work ourselves. And as you're bringing together the, the components in the supply chain, are you looking at like hub-and-spoke models of distribution? How are you thinking about actually decreasing costs inside of your supply chain? Um, we are a little bit different in that we don't do our own trucking. So mm-hmm. every hub, which is a three to 8,000 square foot location, stands on its own two feet. It has its own P&L, own balance sheet. And for those entities, we are pulling inventory in and reducing costs using the same software that we're using in all the other hubs. So then you're basically hyper-localizing the, the delivery around a region? Or? We, hyper-local usually refers to a smaller delivery window. We're actually delivering in a 50-mile radius from one location. Okay. So, no, the, the way to think about it, if you're a supermarket and you're layering picking and delivery on top, like from someone come, coming to your stores and picking, you're looking at a three- to five-mile radius. If you're a big online grocer that has a huge facility far away from a customer, then you're kind of behaving like a supermarket with the similar economics and you're applying a lot of pressure on the customer to give the order way ahead of schedule. Uh, we do neither. We are a smaller format location, usually closer to the customer, mm-hmm. and we give you um, very attractive prices, ideally the same price that you're paying, if not cheaper. And we are able to deliver to you with very short cutoffs. So if you place an order by 5 o'clock, we can usually give you a delivery by 9.30 that night, for example. And if you're in San Francisco, a city proper, we can deliver to you in 35 minutes if you need it. So I, I'm curious about the company itself. Like, how big are you? How long have you been around? Like, what cities are you in? We're currently just in the Bay Area. We started about three years ago. Um, team-wise, you know, we're in the tens of people, not yeah. in the hundreds just yet. Uh, still a small startup, relatively speaking, but are making some big moves recently. And then for you, looking at um, the actual, what you stock, how you think about that, um, how are you sourcing new brands and new products? So we are quite different from a supermarket in that the traditional buyer function doesn't exist at Farmstead. We have a curator, and the curator decides what items to pull in, into the store. But no one decides what quantity to pull in. Code does that. And we believe that software should predict inventory levels, not humans, quite frankly, because they're usually pretty bad at it. Um, But for all of the SKUs that we carry at any point in time, we have machine learning that predicts very crisply 
how much to keep in stock so that when you show up as a new customer, you're able to buy, for example, basil, which is a very expensive item and highly perishable. But we don't have so much basil that inevitably we waste the basil and we lose a case of basil. So you're basically like hyper-efficient on the buying side, hyper-efficient on the allocation of resources inside of that. Um, where else are you looking at shaving uh, or like gaining inefficiency? Uh, we also are quite efficient in connecting supply and demand. Right? So online customer acquisition is our forte, and as a result, we get to shape our own demand, and we're able to scale up operations alongside. As a result, since we also don't carry 30,000 SKUs like a supermarket, but we're actually carrying about, let's say, like anywhere between 1,500 to 3,000 SKUs, we are able to connect demand very aggressively to specific really high-quality items. As a result, we get the scale effects of pricing, and we also offer our own version of Subscribe and Save called Refill and Save. And Refill and Save is a substantially interesting product for both customers and for brands. Mm-hmm. For customers, they're getting the best price in the Bay Area for the products that are Refill and Save enabled. And for brands, they get to effectively do performance marketing with their marketing budget and only pay for uh, pay farms that whenever an item is actually sold while getting all the benefits of long-term retention because it's tied to a refill and save. You mentioned customer acquisition. And early you said, you know, when you launched it, you got 200 customers almost right away. Yeah. So I'm curious about how are you finding those new customers how did they find you even to begin with, and, and what does your growth trajectory look like? Think, um, from, we've been growing point? pretty aggressively. Yeah. We usually do some double-digit growth per month, which is relevant because we also have to predict how much inventory to have, how much pickers to have, drivers to have, and so on. Uh, we primarily shape our demand by connecting online customer acquisition channels to our technology platform, which is backed by our operations. So think Facebook, Instagram, you know, whatever online channel you can think of. We are very good at that because we're a technology company and we spend a lot of time acquiring customers by pitching them on the various things that are great about Farmstead, show them brand-specific imagery, show them specific items that they can buy. For example, we did a Beyond Burger promo, which was awesome. People really resonated with that. Um, and in the end, they show up and ideally they're placing an order the same day and then the next time they show up we say you should try us our weekly service which is a program we have weekly gets you one delivery window a day i'm sorry per week and uh it's free delivery with a 20 dollar minimum and you can do subscribe and save majority of our customers on weekly and then you kind of have to time everything together right like you've got to make sure that your fulfillment centers don't get out like uh i guess like crushed with order volume Right. So we have to, since we get to shape the demand, we have to synchronize all of it together and not just spike to like you know, 100% and then everything just falls flat on its yeah. face. But that's how startups do it. Right? I mean, I don't know about other startups, but we have to do it. Uh, we could grow that fast, but we're no yeah. longer growing from uh, a small, small yeah. user base to like something slightly bigger. We're actually growing from like many thousands of users to even more thousands of users. So it's... yeah. It's definitely tricky if you don't do it right. <laughs> Thinking about, um, I think it was Munchable that outstripped their cash reserves, and then all of a sudden, you know. Can't, can't yeah. speak to that, but yeah. I think it's just from a unit economic standpoint, which really is the most important thing here. It's, it's very important that you grow the supply and the demand together and make sure the ops don't, doesn't bleed out. Now, traditionally, grocery is a, a fairly razor-thin margin. Um, 
I'm interested in how you're finding room to play inside of that. Now, you're you're not a physical retailer at the moment. I don't know what the plans are in the future. But um, with being e-commerce only slash first, um, how are you able to play in that margin space? And does that traditional margin even um, impact you in the type of model you have? Uh, I think one of the big secrets in grocery is that the gross margins are actually really good. It's yeah. the net margins that you're going to struggle with. But the gross is enough that you could, in theory, support a whole variety of different functions. It's just that not many people have really sat down and figured out the e-commerce approach for getting that, capturing that margin for perishables. Mm-hmm. And there are a variety of reasons for that. People have definitely tried and failed, but a lot of it is, is not really the problem of improving efficiencies. It's getting more customers in the first place. Right. So once you get customers, it's very easy to capture most of that margin by actually predicting all these things that we just talked about. But um, you know, if you're, for example, getting a 40% margin in a supermarket, you're effectively bleeding out most of it just on expensive, usually unionized labor, um, inventory that winds up going to waste, and managing the store. Right? Yeah. And the store itself is relatively expensive, and just the throughput of that just does not get you the outcome that you're ideally looking for but does get you enough scale that you can get to like a multi-billion dollar business. Okay. So in the grocery space, would you be considered a competitor to the guys or the big guys, or would you be more of an adjunct? Because it almost sounds like that you might be more supplemental in the consumer shopping, you know, complementary in some ways. I wouldn't say that. I think we are, we are partners to the grocers that we choose to work with, and we would be competing with the folks that... Either we are not choosing to work with or refuse to work with us. So Okay, fair. So it's a little <laughs> bit of both. Yeah. Right. I mean, for example, we today announced that um, our first grocer partnership in the Carolinas, where um, we were working with Alex Lee, who own um, Lowe's Foods, who are a pretty popular Carolinas brand, and we have a supply relationship with them, so that when we do wind up expanding in the Carolinas, we have all the benefits of their no- their knowledge and their their pre-negotiated supply rates, while at the same time we can expand in a market that neither of us are in. Are you at all um, looking at being just a software solution at any point? Um, Never say never, but at this point we are pretty focused on capturing most of that margin and going to market with the brand that we have. So for the... I'm curious about the demographics. You know, you started in the Bay Area, and now you're doing this partnership in the Carolinas, which mm-hmm. is great. It's beautiful there. So that, that's a nice uh, coast-to-coast uh, visit for you, uh, work trip, of course. Um, you know, what is the demographic that you're seeing uh, emerge? Who are the types of people that are interested Primarily in Primarily mid-market. Yeah. So, is that, but is it families? Is it single? Oh, definitely families. Yeah, it's mostly families. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we were growing up, we would have a milk delivery service. I mean, so it was definitely old school. And you're doing it the new school way. We didn't have they didn't have AI and algorithms. We just put in the weekly milk order. I think. But yeah. You know, I don't know. I was on the receiving end of that. <laughs> My parents had all that responsibility. Right. But you know, it's sort of a it's not a new idea, right? right. Um, Nothing in, in, in life is new, right? We're just finding new and better ways to, to do it more efficiently. So for families, for singles, how does who do you see? Um, a lot of families, for sure. Yeah. Uh, demographically speaking, I mean, they're the folks who wind up self-identifying as mid-market. They're going to Safeway and Kroger's of the world. Um, usually household size is at least two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, San Francisco is pretty different. I think it's 
probably valid to say that we attract the the biggest demographic in any zip code that we go to. So that it is generally broad appeal mm-hmm. because uh, the the product itself, the product experience is flexible enough that you can use it as a service for someone who is you know, living by themselves versus for like a huge family. Yeah. Are you finding that word of mouth is spreading you rapidly or are, is this much more like you're targeting and you're building it? A little bit of both, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, and then as you're putting together um, the actual offerings themselves, how are you thinking about the curation side? I'm really fascinated by seeing as you think through perishable, it's like yeah. you don't want to have a type of mushrooms that you can only do with this type of, you know. Um, are you driving recipe? Are you driving like an adoption of more of something if you get a good rate? No, we're not doing uh, rate-driven promotions. In general, we don't do promotions too often. We're actually trying to break from that discount model that yeah. you normally see. It's just a race to the bottom at that point. But from our perspective, it's an everyday low price, which is ideal. Yeah. If you're showing up, you know you're going to get this price. And if you're doing a refill and save, it's definitely going to be cheaper than what you're paying at the store more often than not. So from a perishable selection standpoint, I mean, perishables are relatively straightforward because you kind of eat the same thing pretty much everywhere. But the expansion into a certain category, for example, in the Carolinas, maybe meat consumption is higher than in San Francisco. Yeah. Right? And if that's the case, what are the items that we need to focus on and hone on kept right? Barbecue. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's one of the main reasons. Good barbecue. Carolina, this is our next market. <laughs> oh, you're a barbecue fan? Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, Texas next. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Austin. Good barbecue. Yes. Yeah. I'll be there to support you in whatever way. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, with the barbecue, then comes the coleslaw, and then, of course, the corn. and you kind of Right. Do, yeah. And, you know, we have sources where, you know, this partnerships, we can, our grocer partners will thankfully help us with kind of figure all these things out. Um, in markets where we choose to expand by ourselves, we have programmatic ways of identifying which top three to 5,000 SKUs are popular in any set of zip codes. So mm-hmm. that is data that we do have access to and allows us to refine the selection wherever we go. And all the perishables, let's say like maybe 60% of the perishables will probably be the same. But the non-perishables, definitely there are some local differences. And the non-perishable side of what you're selling, the, the commodities, mm-hmm. um, how is that playing into the strategy and the, and the model? Um, I mean, we would prefer to have you shop most of your weekly shop on Farmstead. Ideally, all of it. Yeah. But we got to start somewhere. Uh, we are picking very crisply what the non-perishables need to be the the split right now between perishables and non-perishables is about I want to say 65 in favor of perishables right so <laughs> for us it's quite so compelling to get a platform right. solution for perishables we do perishables incredibly well yeah and non-perishables are the add-ons that you probably would buy anyway yeah to the exception of things like cereal and chocolate that people buy every single week yeah and then on, so like if you're doing um, the non-perishables themselves, how are you thinking about heavy CPG brands with a tremendous presence versus like a Trader Joe's approach of white label? Are you playing in any of that space right now? We're definitely spending more time with the bigger CPG brands and also the local CPG brands. Right? The white labeling is not a big uh, function of what we're doing right now. Maybe in the future, we don't know yet. 
But uh, big CPG brands, brands and local CPG brands love us because we're giving them a lot of visibility into what's actually happening. And you don't get that at a supermarket. And you're definitely deploying capital into supermarkets, but you might not be getting that data back. And we are able to very crisply tell them what is happening with the topics of this one. Well, that certainly has been an issue that we've heard about um, in these conversations and, you know, in being involved in the space is that data share piece. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen, you know, good responsiveness, you know, in the, developing those partnerships? I mean, because it's changing how brands and, you know, you know, companies like farms and grocers, you're changing the model on how how you guys are doing business and what's the best way to succeed together. Definitely. Um, I think pretty much everyone's looking to go as direct to the consumer as possible. Right? The question of how that flows and how the money flows is still TBD. From our perspective, we'll always have anonymized, you know, highly relevant data to share with our brand partners and what they would like to, what programs they would like to participate in is always up in the air. We have a variety of different programs for them to choose from. So let's talk about Beyond Meat. You said that was a good promotion. (laughs) So they're a hot topic right now. They did the very successful IPO. Now there's a little bit of, you know, kind of uh, controversy around the health and wellness. Naturally, when you have success, there's got to be controversy that those two things go hand in hand. So they're sustainable. You know, we recognize those kinds of products for being sustainably friendly. But now here on the other side, we kind of have some questions around the health and wellness of that. So I don't know what your feelings are on Beyond Meat. They're a good partner to you, I'm going to assume. But yeah, and they, I love their burgers. They actually they're them. wonderful, right? Yeah. They taste great. Yeah, we carry them and they're in rotation at my house. My kids love them. Do you dip your toe in the water of sustainability, health and wellness, that kind of thing? The, the name itself, for me, I come from the Midwest. I'm from yeah. the Midwest. I hear farm, I think organic, I think, of the earth, I think, good things, right? So that's good branding on your part, so congratulations there. But, you know, in terms of those kinds of um, topics, sustainability, wellness, nutrition, organic, is that in alignment with what you do? 100%. So we do quite a bit on the sustainability side. Uh, Even when we started, we we kind of hated packaging. Packaging was our nemesis from day one. Yeah. Really not happy with the packaging situation. So we deliver in long routes. So one of our drivers actually delivers to at least 10 people at a time. So it's you and your neighbors. But we also deliver in bags with ice packs. Mm-hmm. And we expect our customers who are our community members to return the bags and ice packs the next week. So yeah. you just take the products out, you leave them out. Next week we'll drop off your new groceries and we'll pick up the bags back. So we've been doing this man model. Yeah, yeah, a lot like it. Because we had like the tin... They were like tin containers with like yeah. liners. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. From our perspective, we would, of course, want to get the packaging back. We do reuse, we clean and reuse everything. So some, next week, some other customer gets that same back. Um, on the food-based side is really where we shine because uh, traditional supermarkets, system-wide, they're doing about 35% food waste. Mm-hmm. Farmstead system-wide is sub-5% food waste. No kidding. Yeah. That's... That's... Sub- that's- really something significant. Thank you, yeah. And we are especially happy with it given that it's tied to a rapidly growing company, not one that's somewhat flat. So yeah. our ability to predict the inventory and cut down on the waste is quite key to getting these economics working in our favor, while at the same time it's cutting down food waste at our operation centers. And on the wellness side, uh, we have 
your driver's the ability. Cards is yeah. <laughs> oh, we have the ability to filter the entire store by the kind of diet or whatever wellness plan that you're following. For example, if you're a ketogenic, you can filter by keto, and we don't show you anything that's not keto. Mm -hmm. That makes it fast for efficient, yeah, clear and also, shopping, you know? Right, and it also helps customers kind of stick with us so they, they don't have to worry about yeah, going to the somewhere. trust factor. Exactly. And um, we haven't done a lot of work here yet, but long-term, we are looking to help customers cut down their food waste at home. Interesting. Um, when you're doing the actual delivery itself, a question that I had never thought about before was food safety in delivery. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm wondering how you're thinking and solving that. So you mentioned the ice packs itself. Yeah. Um, but you've got multiple different types of food that you're delivering with multiple like food handling uh, requirements, potentially. Um, how are you thinking through that side? I've never had a chance to ask somebody about that because it literally didn't it wasn't on my radar to ask. It's a, it's a pretty hefty topic and one we take, of course, a fat amount of importance. Um, at Farmstead, the cold chain security is verified at various steps. So we take possession of cold inventory from our vendors and then we work it with process by process to make sure the temperature is controlled all the way to where we stored it. And then when we pick it to putting it in insulated bags all the way to doorstep, there's a usually unbroken chain. And when we get to that unbroken chain, at the very end of it, your customer is opening the door, they see the ice cream is frozen solid, the milk is cold. Yeah. And the temperature requirements we verify on an ongoing basis to make sure that what we're expecting to happen is actually happening. It's, it's very important that we get it right. Yeah. How are you able to track in transit? Are you using sensors in bags? Or, yeah, or we, we don't do it in market? every single bag, of course, yeah. but we're actually, when we run our tests, which happens time to time, uh, we are using what we call these thermocouple temperature center sensors where we usually test with milk because we deliver a lot of milk. Yeah. And it goes directly in the fluid and usually gets sent to the driver all the way through and back to okay. our location. And then we, met, we are able to plug that temperature sensor in by USB, get all the temperatures out and graph it and see what's actually happening. I love that milk is a fairly constant theme throughout this conversation. Milk is, I mean, milk is the holy grail. Yeah. If, you, if you screw up the milk, they will, no one's going to buy from you. <laughs> yeah. Is that like the baseline of, you know, because for testing too, if it, if it doesn't fly with the milk, that means everything else is probably subject to question as well. Um, definitely. I mean, the, yeah. the, the perishables is really milk and meat centered. Mm -hmm. The meat temperatures are sensitive. Cheese handling is challenging, right? But um, on the frozen side, ice cream, oh my God. Yeah. You have to not screw up the ice cream. If the ice cream comes in melted, it's very yeah. <laughs> Are you delivering um, frozen vegetables at all? We do. So everything frozen, we deliver with dry ice. And, <laughs> but dry ice is not something we use by default, unlike some other online vegetables. Okay. So what was the most surprising thing for you when you got into this business? And I'm going to tell you where the orientation of that question is coming from. I saw uh, the founder of Rent the Runway present uh, at South by a few years ago. And she said, you know, I thought I was doing a clothing rental business. And what I really have is the world's largest dry cleaner. Yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> That's funny. It is funny. And it's like, oh, and it makes a whole lot of sense. So yeah. in your business, I'm got to think that you had some some surprises. Yeah, one of the biggest ones was um, bananas. So we had, at one point, we were only selling organic bananas. Yeah. At like $1.29 about. 
And we were at that point only selling organics and price parity with Whole Foods. Whole Foods customers would show up, they would tell us that we're too expensive. And we'd be shocked because it's exactly the same prices from Whole Foods that we're you know, putting on our stack. And then we actually got a couple of them on the phone. I was like, what, can you please pinpoint which prices are problematic? It's bananas. It's bananas are so expensive. Like, but they're $1.29 at Whole Foods too. Like, no, I buy the 69 cent bananas at Whole Foods. Yeah. But they're not <laughs> organic. But I get them at Whole Foods. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. the company as a whole, I would actually argue, did not start working in order to attract more customers until we added 69 cent bananas. That and then makes after a that, ton of sense. then it, you took off? And then it started growing pretty rapidly. No kidding. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. I think that's a, that needs to be in like a, a yeah. Harvard you know, business class you know, case yeah. study, right? It's a perfect example something of anchoring. Something like that. Right? It's something that customers understand. They say that I know what the price is, and as long as these prices are available, then your service is viable to me. And yeah. it's an example of how supermarkets, you know, they do high-low all the time. And high-low pricing effectively on the lower side is really this, banana pricing. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's, so that's really how amazing. the whole world operates in groceries, 69 cent bananas. Right. But we had to learn these things from scratch because we are not grocers when we first start. Now we definitely are. What yeah. were you, like, what did you think you were going to be, though? Like, you decided you were going to solve this problem. Did you not think of yourself as a grocer? Or you just, you're an engineer, so I would, it's I would not have, a criticism. It's a, just, it I'm would curious. have been unfair to name myself as a grocer at that moment. Yeah. At this yeah. point in time, we're definitely grocers, right? <laughs> yeah. But at that moment in time, we were yeah. not grocers. Yeah. We were technology folks who were trying to understand the dynamics yeah. of the system. One thing that kept coming up was really, um, can we get to a point where we are truly understanding the dynamics of what's going on in customers' heads? And we kept going back to this, this question of, do we sell conventionals, do we sell organics? And we just kept going back and forth. And then we just started asking customers directly, which is something that technology companies do well. And then they told us, oh, we do That they both. do well? They do well. Yeah. We asking talk to customers. customers questions. No, yeah. I think you're doing it well. I'm going to challenge you on that one. You may be able know. to use technology yeah. effectively yeah. to yeah. do it. I don't yeah. know that all tech companies ask their customers what they really want. I um, think we have to go in and make good assumptions, good right. high, solid hypotheses, and then a little bit of... Well, we, there's a lot of research at Farmstead that yeah. gets done. So at, at its so core, we'll give you we, the credit that thank, you do. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> the, the, the conversations wound up being conventional products are what I buy at Safeway. Organics are what I buy at Whole Foods, and I go to Trader Joe's for snacks. Yep. Which is I think interesting. That's yeah. But accurate. of course, we all know this qualitatively, but there is no quantitative data to showcase this anyway. Yeah. Right. So if you're a very quantitative company, you hear this kind of feedback and then you kind of smack yourself in the head and like, well, of course. Yeah. Then we started fleshing out our SKU selection for conventional and organics. Yeah. And then we then started getting adoption with mid-market customers, mm -hmm. which is really where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, on the plane I was talking with one of your colleagues yeah. and um, we were talking about ketchup. Yeah. And to me, that's one of those like... I grew up on Heinz. Yeah. I will always buy it. Yes. That will never change. Kensington is better. I will always buy Heinz. And um, it doesn't matter. And I see, like, um, every now and then, I'm living with my in-laws right now. The mom will buy something that's not. And I still consider myself to be out of ketchup. 
I'll use that other red sauce thing if I have to, but I'm just out of ketchup. Um, and so that's I, the backup. Yeah, that's the backup. The backup, the backup worst backup. case scenario. <laughs> yeah. I'm like that with my coffee. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to get the the classic brands right. Yeah. yeah. And we do a lot of that. Um, have you found regionality in that as as well? So I think like right now I'm in Pepsi country, which I really don't like, and and um, I didn't realize there was a country, but okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, for us, yes, a little bit here and there, but the majority of folks just want good value, good quality for the price that they're paying, mm-hmm. and if you can give them a, a compatible that's better than what they've been buying for compatible prices, then yeah, why not? Thank you so much. I, I'm. I love that you started this whole journey because of a kid and the need for milk. I think that's great. Um, I'd love to have you just share really briefly um, what in your life uh, is another example of a place where you've had a need and just like solved it. I think that's always interesting to capture. Oh, it's a great question. Um, I mean, for me personally, I mean, I, I live a pretty high stress life, but. Um, one thing that came up recently is that I really needed to take time where it's just me and no one else, myself. Um, started hiking. It's been going pretty great, actually. Try to do three, four miles a week, which is a walk pretty slow, so a couple yeah. of hours. means you live in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, Bay Area, thankfully, has a variety of different hiking places very close to my house, so I wind up going there. And honestly, it, that kind of exercise pays dividends and I've been pretty happy with how it's been going. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's been great having you on my Thank you so much for having me. It's great. Uh, for Rob Sanchez, good night, y'all. For Anne-Marie, thanks so much. This has been Grocery is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice.